Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for every good gift, the gift of life, your own life that you've given to us, and that you speak to us even this day through your word written. Lord, open our hearts to take in, to, and to hear that word and to, and to follow it, to hear your voice speak to our soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Each year, as Anglicans, we focus on one of the first three Gospels. We look at John every year. We do Matthew and Mark and Luke, and this is the year of Luke. A lot of people really like the year of Luke because Luke is a very, has some of the most upbeat passages in, in the New Testament. Can you imagine the New Testament without the story of the prodigal son? Or how about the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Or the thief on the cross? I mean, it just it makes your heart sing, and it's just a beautiful thing. But Luke also has some really tough things, some very challenging passages. For example, he says, uh, taught the parable of the rich fool. That's nobody's favorite parable. I feel confident that's no one's favorite parable. How about sell your possessions and give to the needy? That is not a crowd pleaser. How about this? Do you think I've come here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. No one's grandmother has that in needlepoint over the dining room table. So today, we're having one of those more challenging passages from Luke. I want you to remember something. The gospel is always good news. So we have to see what is the good news with that message. Well, actually, we have to put this in context. A main theme of the gospel is Luke is Jesus is on a journey to his death. He's on a journey to Jerusalem. Now, on that journey, Jesus had made it clear that a variety of people would not, in fact, receive the seed, the word. He told, remember the parable of the sower. He tells us, well, some of it just falls on the wayside, right? It falls on the wayside, it's trampled underfoot, devoured by birds. He says, some of it just falls on the rock, and it withers away because it has no moisture, can't put down roots. And some of it fell among thorns, which choked it out. So he said, yes, some feed, seed falls on the good soil. That's true, but a lot of seed doesn't. And so someone asked the question saying, okay, I know they're great saints, but saying, realistically, is this a possibility for regular people? Are many people going to be saved? Or is it sort of an elite thing? Okay, is this, a, you know, is, are, will many be saved? So how does Jesus respond? Well, actually, Jesus doesn't. Often when we ask the wrong question, that's what Jesus will do. However, here, why doesn't he respond very specifically to what seems like a legitimate question? Will those who are saved be many? Well, first of all, it's not that he's, as though he doesn't care. Look at the end of our passage today. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? So the problem isn't God and his desire for us. That is not the issue. So he's not turning down the question like, I don't care. Also, he's not turning down the question because it's bad news. There's a lot of good news. Uh, we know what the answer to the question is. It says, for example, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. The question had been, will those who are saved be many? 
In Matthew, he says, many will come from east and west. Then we also say in John's gospel, it says, in, uh, it says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Then when we have at the, every Eucharist, remember, he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. So the answer is many. Okay. And also the one I love, talk about, well, how many is many? Look, I raise boys and things. I understand little kids will ask, like, okay, what do you mean, how many is many? It says in Revelation, after this, I saw and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, all peoples and languages standing before the throne. So it's not that Jesus is afraid of giving us bad news. Yeah, this is an elite thing. Okay. Instead, what Jesus is reminding us is where we should be focusing our attention. Remember Martha, the story with Martha and Mary? You know, she's getting all upset, saying, I'm doing all the work. My sister's here. And he's just, oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. He says, only one thing is necessary. One thing's really important. Focus on it. So that's what Jesus is doing in today's gospel. He's saying, focus on what's really necessary. So what does he tell us to focus on? First of all, there's a lot of good news in this passage. Sometimes we might say the headline is buried. You know, you know we have to look for what's the headline here. Well, first of all, there is a door. You know, you can go past walls where there's no way in. We were in a seemingly impossible position of sin and death. No way out. There's a door. There's a way out. The next thing, well, there are doors, yeah, but they're locked. He says, this door is open. We have an invitation to come in. So not only is there an entry, we have an invitation. It's open. We have an invitation to go through. Another thing we have is it gives us access to the best God has to offer. What happens if we go through that door? He tells us. He says, people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. You know, get ready for a feast in the kingdom of God. So, wow, it's worth going through the door. Everything you could hope is on the other side. And he also tells us that there are, it's never too late. I love this. He says, some of the last will be first. You might say, well, I'm hopeless. Look at that line ahead of me. Whoa, what a mob scene. And he said, no, no, some of the last, some of the people at the end of the line are going to be first. So that's a lot of good news. There's a door. It's open to us. It has amazing things for us on the other side, and it's never too late. But Luke being Luke provides us with some sobering facts. The first thing is that the door is narrow. The way, the way through is not easy. Grace is, I love it, Bonhoeffer, one of the martyrs of the 20th century, famously said, you know, grace is free, but it's not cheap. So it's going, uh, matter of fact, the word he uses for strive to enter by, the word strive is the Greek word where we get the word agony from. It means it's an athletic term for when you're really putting everything, you've gone beyond the beyond. They have a special verb for it, it's called, you know, in Greek, that comes from where we get agony from. You've got to strive. Okay. The next thing we're told about sort of sobering facts is the day will come when the door will close. The gate's not always open. The day will come when the gate closes. Also, it's possible to miss it. It's possible not to get in. He says, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. And finally, he says, you'll never be to the point where you can take it for granted. He says, some of the first will be last. Some of the people were just sitting around there and parked out the night before thing, waiting for those doors to open, not going to go in. 
So some of the people at the back of the line are going in. Some of the people at the front of the line aren't going in. So this brings us to the question, Jesus has strived to get in. So how do we do that? How do we strive to get in? Okay. So first of all, um, when Jesus tells, the door, tells us the door eventually closes, what is he talking about? And remember, it says in Hebrews 9, chapter, verse 27, that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so it's basically telling us for each one of us, the door closes when we die. That's the moment. As long as we're alive, where there's life, there's hope. But if you don't know this, I love this. Rabbis, uh, I have a love for, uh, for, for Judaica. Rabbis will tell you they believe every individual breath is a gift of God. Nothing is on automatic pilot. So their view, if you come to a rabbi and say, I think, you know, God has given up on me, he said, you appear to be breathing. That's the standard answer. <laughs> if you're breathing, that's every gift is an keep. Why is he still giving you breath? He has not given up. Okay. So we have here that the door does eventually close. Now, why does he describe it as narrow? What's so hard? And I would suggest, you know, what we mean by that gate is, the gate doesn't adjust to us. We have to adjust to the gate. You know, in a world where everything is about us, a consumer society, about our, our preferences and things, the gate doesn't adjust to us. We have to adjust to the gate. So if five are walking in a row and there's only room for three, we're just going to have to push in and things. We have to adjust. The gate doesn't do any adjusting. So that's why it's narrow, saying you're going to have, you just can't say, here's how I choose to go in. You're going to have to follow the gate. So I would suggest to you, this is what we can look upon it here is all of us, for us, our narrow gate is all of us are born into specific circumstances, a specific time, a specific place. All the facts of our lives are our narrow gate. We can't choose what that is. Those are the facts of our life. The facts of our life are our narrow gate. We can't get around it. We can't say, I, I don't like this door. I'll get another one. Doesn't work that way. That is the door. We have to adjust to those facts. If we're going through, it'll be through that door, our circumstances, our condition. So our life, then, is a whole series of here and nows. Let me tell you a fundamental truth about God. If we ever meet God, which I hope we have, but if we ever meet God, it will always be here, a place called here, and a, and a time called now. There's no other place we'll ever meet God. God isn't the God of the past. He's the I am. You know, he covers time. But the fact, if we're going to meet him, this is the only time. People look about the future. It's sort of silly. There is no future. By the time it gets to us, it'll be a present. No, there, we will never be in the future. When it's with us, it'll always be a present. So if we're ever going to meet God, it's going to be right here and right now. This is where he lives. This is where we meet. Okay. Then what does Jesus say about that? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Luke's version. That's hard. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We each have a personal. He doesn't say take up a cross, find a cross that suits you, you know, like a designer cross. Take up your cross. That's already been decided. Take up your cross and follow me and do it every single day. It's not something I do and get behind me. Sometimes people talk like I have a cross in my life, like that's unusual. You know, and then we have the rest. No, no. You know, the, I love to say that 
The cross isn't a roadblock. The cross is the road. Okay, so we have to take up our cross, and we have to do it every single day. Now, why is this so difficult? Why does he compare it to striving? Well, let's look at some of the mistakes we can make of why we fail to focus on the place where we can find God. The first thing, it's very easy to see God working in the past, but often hard to see him working now. This is the Pharisees. Jesus made fun of them. He said, I notice you love building these big monuments to the prophets of ages past, the ones your father's killed. You know, you, you say, if we had lived in those days, you said, we would never have done that. But he says, funny, you love the past this way, but you have, yeah, you're more than a prophet here right now. You kill the prophets of your own time. You miss it. You can somehow see God working in the past, but you're legally blind when it comes to seeing anything going on in your own age. Another trouble of having God is we just can't see him in, we look for God in exotic places. Now, I've got to tell you, Nazareth, the one word never used to describe it was exotic. Okay, you know, uh, it was like the Carol stream of the ancient world. Okay. Uh, okay. It was a town, it's not even mentioned in the Bible. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. Almost every town is. It's not even mentioned in the Bible. It was, a, it was, it was just low-rental low, uh, low real estate. It was a tiny nowhere place. Okay. And so when Jesus shows up in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he grew up there, and everybody knows him, they can't see past the fact that this is in Nazareth. Things like that don't happen here. God doesn't use the carpenter down the street. That can't happen. So they'd already said this can't. By definition, God works somewhere else, typically in the past, and does these magnificent things. He can't be working now, and he can't be working in things that I can see in my regular circumstances. Now, how do we find God in the here and now? Because that's where we'll find him. Is we stop looking for mountaintop experiences because we realize as a matter of theological truth, Every single moment is equally open to God. There are no special moments. Any moment given to God becomes infinite and holy. And that includes cleaning the garage. Anything when we say, if this is what you want me to do, then I'm here. That's what meeting God looks like. Saying, whatever your plan is. Jesus said, you know, my father's will is like having lunch. He says that, you know, he said, you know, they're saying, what food? He said, that's, that, that's why I live on. So our only concern is this the Father's will. I don't care how small it is, how unrecognized it is, how prosaic it is. If this is where you want me, then I'm here. That's what it looks like. So we have every single moment is infinite if it's given to God. Jesus tells us this. He says, for example, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's the disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A lousy cup of water, he says. Give one lousy cup of water someone asks for you. Believe me, you will not lose your reward. Small things, nothing given to God is small. Mother Teresa would like to say that anything given to God is infinite. And also quoting, she's, Mother Teresa is actually quoting uh, Teresa of Avila, who famously said, it's not what we do, it's the love we put in the doing. What makes an action beautiful to God, brings us to God, is it's done in love. We can do anything in love. Think when you've fallen in love and things, and you're in love, 
when people ask you to do hard things, sometimes I know when I was when I was dating and things, I'd like something really tough. Like I need this special ride. Can you get up at three in the morning, get me to the airport? And say, yeah, I really, wow, this is a break I can show. I love that. I can do something dramatic. So we look upon this as an opportunity. Okay. So we have, so we can ask two questions if we want to really see that with the narrow doors. At any given moment, we can ask ourselves, Lord, right now, I'm not talking about an hour from now, right now. What do you want me to do? And give me the grace to do it. That prayer never fails. It's a prayer that's always answered. Right now, and I, we're always living in the future. We're always waiting for the curtain to go up in our lives. Well, the curtain's up and everybody's watching. I mean, <laughs> that's what we talk about the heaven, you know, the, the, the cloud, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the people cheering us on. So the, the, it is up. So the fact is it's right now. We ask ourselves right now, just this hour, the next hour, to really live in every moment. To realize that, gee, if I'm even, I'm talking about prosaic, the kind of thing, you're coming to a place like this and suddenly, well, I'm coming from Whedon or something, you're stuck 20 minutes, you didn't think. And well, my view is, if that's where God wants me to be, that's good with me. What do you want me to do? I mean, that kind of view that, that I'm just, it's, it's yours, is exactly how we connect to God. That's the narrow gate. That's how we get through it. Now, one thing we worry about, a lot of us say, no, 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 I, that's, I know those little things, yeah, but I want to worry about the big stuff. I want to know when they come in about my faith hauling me away or something. Jesus said, oh, boy, you have it backwards. Jesus said, he who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. He said, you know, again, if you do the little stuff, the big stuff is easy. If you do the little stuff faithfully, when the time comes, you will be ready. That's how you get ready, is doing all these little things, being faithful in small matters. This is the words of Jesus. You can trust him. If you do the small stuff, you'll be, everything will be fine. You'll always give him the grace for the big stuff. But that's where we do it. We don't wait, give me something worthy of me. And I'll, no, no. If God gives it to us, it is worthy of it. That, by definition, like the woman, all she had was two, two coins. That was great. She gave them. And he said she's given more than anybody else. God doesn't look at things like we do. Now, there's a special word of hope here, I think, where he talks about, he said some of the first will be last, some of the last will be first. Some of us really have causes for grief in our life. Some of us have lost years of our life. We've made bad decisions or things have happened where we've lost years of our lives. We're grieving that fact. That's a reality in some people's lives. And, you know, they have a beautiful thing. The book of the prophet Joel they talked about these locusts, and he talks about the years of the locust, where everything was eaten up, nothing to show for it. And some people feel like, well, I'm hopelessly behind. My chance is past. But remember, what does the prophet Joel say? God gave a promise, and he said, I will restore to you the years of the swarming locust. God can restore lost time, and he does. And also, powerful thing in the book of Lamentations, we're told, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's a promise of God. So again, everything changes in our life when we realize we meet God here and now. Every moment is transformed. Then we have an actual walk with God. That's the essence of we live our life in the presence of God. Now, the good news, we, uh, we said, uh, the news of the narrow door is that it is always possible in our life right here and now to say yes to God, even in the midst of sin. 
You know, some people say, yes, if I, sometimes people say if I had, act, had my act cleaned up, then I could do this. Some of us get the, get the message wrong. We hear about repentance in the Bible, and we think it means I clean up my act, and then God can work with me. Well, let's talk about grace. People, sinners can't do that. We can't clean up our lives to get ready for God. What does, God comes in our messy house. Think of a bachelor who's been living alone for two years. I'm talking about a disaster zone. Okay, so, you know, God basically doesn't expect the house clean. He comes in and says, I'll help you. <laughs> Let me get this in shape. You don't have a clue. Okay, uh, so repentance. So we, we don't get the idea that repentance basically means uh, not that we're ready. We basically say yes to even in the midst of sin. Look at the thief on the cross. He was a career criminal. Literally tells us he's a career criminal. His whole life, he had never done anything productive. He was a professional thief. And yet it was plenty of time with God. With God, it is never too late. Some of the last will be first. I sort of love this because, you know, why does Jesus mention paradise? This is sort of a footnote might interest you. Why does he say today you will be in paradise? Remember, we were kicked out of paradise until Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Well, this is the first person he said, you know, today you will be, he's going to be the first one back after Adam. <laughs> so, wow, talk about last being first. Now, so conclusion then with the narrow door, what does it have to tell us? We tend to spiritualize our lives in the wrong way of saying there are these mountaintop experiences and I'm going to live for those. And I hope those will come up and that'll determine how I walk with my, my walk with God. You know, it's like Mary is a beautiful model. You know, we have the idea where Mary said yes to God, which she did beautifully. But that's only a part of the story. You know, Mary's yes was the first of thousands. You don't get one yes and move on with your life. Every yes, every moment is a yes. Do I do God's will or do I do something else? Yes, yes. Every life is a thousand, ten thousand yeses. Every day is ten thousand yeses. So what we have is ever going to say yes to God, it's going to be in the here and now. It'll be every moment, every decision we make. In little things, sometimes it's just being faithful. God has called me to this. All I know is right now, this is what I'm called to do. So I guess I'll do it. I'll do it for God. And you say, well, gee, what about boring tasks? Look, I'm a professional accountant. You have no idea what existential boredom is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, let us pray this day for the grace to see Jesus in the Nazareth of our daily lives. All of us, we're living in Nazareth, and we just don't expect Jesus will be somewhere exciting. No, he won't. He'll be right there where you live, where you work, and where you live. Let's ask for God to open our eyes to see him there. And let's pray for the grace to say yes, like Mary, every moment of the day. And when does this start? I love these words from the Apostle Paul. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Amen.